Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. And again, this week's teaching is the 24th chapter of the Dhammapada. We're coming to the end of this 26th class study. Uh, I think we can see some common themes throughout uh, the teachings, uh, themes that have repeated, themes like restraint that comes up over and over again. Things like abandoning. I don't know if that's. Could everyone mute their mics? I'm not sure. All right. But uh, another theme that we've seen over and over again is uh, restraint. And again, you'll see this throughout this teaching. Just like to start as we always start this chapter as well as all teachings presented at Cross River Meditation Center have been restored by John to the Buddha's original focus and intent ending ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. So the word Tana it means desire, thirst, craving, the constant grasping after satisfying life experiences. We're essentially talking about the Second Noble Truth Craving is the origin of suffering. Craving is sensual craving, the craving for existence, the craving for non-existence. We prefer pleasant feelings. We have an aversion to unpleasant feelings. Even when we are feeling a blahness, we are in that kind of hazy, deluded feeling, but yet we're grasping and craving for pleasant feelings. Uh, but as you can see by how John titled this, Abandoning Craving, this is also about the third noble truth, that Nibbana is possible. And since we have uh, a short class today, it's always good to repeat what the third noble truth is. And what, friends, is the noble truth of cessation of stress? The renunciation, the relinquishment, the release, the letting go, the remainderless fading away, and the complete cessation of craving. This is called the noble truth of the cessation of stress. So as we go through this teaching, which is just full of metaphors, each line is rich with metaphor, Keep the third noble truth in mind, and you'll you'll hear those words, the fading away, the complete cessation, and you'll hear things like cutting out at the root. And when you think of root, think of it, ignorance, our ignorance of the four noble truths, the craving of a mindless people grows like a creeper. 
like a monkey seeking fruit in the forest, they leap from moment to moment, tasting the fruits of their karma. Those unrefined, clinging to craving, are overcome in the world. Their sorrow grows like grass after the rains. Those refined have overcome the world, releasing from craving, difficult to escape, their sorrow rolls like water beads off a lotus. I say to you all, you are fortunate indeed. As you would uproot medicinal herbs, you should uproot craving. Do not let Mara, again, he, Mara is a metaphor for ignorance, our ignorance, but it's often seen as an evil presence, but it really is in our own mind, our own ignorance. Do not let Mara destroy you as a raging river continually destroys reeds. Much like last class, the Buddha is exhorting the Sangha to not ignore the reality of stress. The Buddha has handed us these teachings and his wisdom. He's saying, take to the Dhamma. The Buddha continues, just as a tree will rise again if its roots are not cut, any craving not rooted out will arise again and again. The mindless person, the currents of craving flowing unrestrained, are always grasping after pleasure and are swept away by the floods of their own passionate thoughts. Again, the idea of restraint is a reoccurring theme throughout the Dhammapada, and so is abandonment. We've been asked to abandon violence and anger, craving, and of course, ignorance. I believe the next class is wise restraint. So it's a, it's a reoccurring theme. The Buddha continues, everywhere the current of craving flows, the creeper grows and grows, understanding the disciple cuts craving at its roots. Flowing in from all phenomenon and sustained by craving, feelings are, uh, of pleasure arise in all beings. Grasping after pleasure and satisfaction, people succumb to impermanence and decay. Overwhelmed by craving, the fool chases pleasure like a caged rabbit looking for escape. Bound to the world by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, they give rise to suffering forever. Greed, aversion, and deluded thinking are the three defilements. But keep in mind the root defilement is ignorance. Overwhelmed by craving, the fool chases pleasure like a rabbit caught in a snare. Those that strive to abandon passion will destroy craving. These are John's comments. It is craving for and clinging to sensory experience that result in ongoing greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. In the Bahava Sutta, the Buddha uses a metaphor in the most beautiful and insightful manner. Karma is the field, consciousness the seed, and craving the moisture that sustains ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. I'm sure we'll be going over that Sutta soon, and it's a lot to chew on. I believe John and Ram and myself had a brief conversation and John asked Ram, did he see becoming as a noun or a verb yet? 
So I spent all week thinking about that. Even though I thought I understood the Bahava Sutta, it, it's again, it, it's uh, one of my favorites. So uh, I believe that will be coming up shortly. The Buddha's words. There are those that abandon worldly entanglements and turn to my Dhamma and though free, run back to the bondage. Look at this person. Once free, they run back to the same old chains. The wise know that clinging to iron, wood, or hemp is easier to cut than infatuation with jewels, ornaments, children, or spouse. This bond is elastic, constraining, hard to cut. The wise cut even these bonds. The wise abandon sensual pleasure and calmly renounce the world. And for householders, I think this is the hardest thing that we have to face in this practice. We're being asked to turn our backs on our loved ones and renounce our love for our loved ones. And I think the best thing I can say is what you're rooting out is ignorance. You're not rooting out your responsibilities. You're not giving up on the love, but you're not going into that relationship with your children or your spouse or your parents. You're going in with understanding and having that detachment to craving. So don't let this one part of the Buddha's Dhamma chase you off. Stick with it. It's, it's really the Buddha asking, again, to that lesser pleasure, the lesser happiness, versus the greater happiness of abandonment of all craving for nirvana. So, again, it's a difficult concept to grasp, but you know, this is where we all have to be gentle with ourselves as we take our time to incorporate what the Buddha is asking us to do. And again, I always go back to the words in the Third Noble Truth, the remainderless fading away of craving. This practice is for the long haul. It's not something that's gonna be sprung upon you all at once. So again, be gentle with yourself when you're trying to understand the Four Noble Truths. It's a, it's a refined understanding. So, you know, again, don't be chased off by those last few uh, stanzas. The whole idea of, of relationships based on craving, uh, that's one of the things for me that I've, I've learned about my own relationships after really embracing this Dhamma is that there are still relationships and they're actually deeper because now you can see the other person without that veil of craving that you they had before. Hmm. Um, to, to have a a lot of people will will look at 
will chase after relationships because the craving for just company. Mm -hmm. Acceptance. Yeah, acceptance, uh, all these things. And uh, that's a very thin um, motivation for trying to share your life with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, when, when, you, when you do have children, um, even there, uh, you, you get to face your, your craving in that. Just had um, <clears throat> my wife's cousin who just um, had, you know, his life basically come to a dead stop because um, he, he had been dealing with his his father's rejection of him and his rebellion against that, and now that's playing out with his son and you know got into a situation where the, the, the son was basically not invited back home anymore and I could just see how how all these things were driven by by all these subtle forms or not so subtle forms of craving and mm. The, the, the karma involved, the karma that was generated, you know, from father to son, and 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 again, from from son to father, that it was just, um, I couldn't couldn't ask for a better demonstration for for you know, how how craving destroys uh, a lifetime. And, and several at a time, and um, the way that you know the Baba Sutta here comes up again mm. as uh, you know, telling us that all this works, this all this plays out in the field of, of karma. How you know how we are, how we are heirs to our actions mm. all the time. So it's it's been a it's been a, a pretty intense couple of days for for me. But everything was just a uh, a, a clear playing out of of craving you know, over over generations, one bouncing off the other. But to come back to you know how. Um, Relationships can work in, you know, even you know, rooted in the Dharma uh, as householders. Uh, it by the time you give up the the underlying cravings in, in the relationship, you you get to actually enjoy a real relationship. Thanks, mm -hmm. And again, you often bring up the virtuous factors as really that that mirror mm -hmm. yeah. you can see your actions immediately through the virtuous factors of right speech right action mm -hmm. right livelihood so thank you Ron the Buddha continues 
Those infatuated by desire are stuck in the swirling river current of ignorance like a spider stuck in its own web. The disciple cuts this off at its root. Having abandoned craving, they abandon all suffering and are free of the worldly entanglements. Release the past. Release the future. Release the present. Cross over to the farthest shore of existence. With a mind wholly liberated, you will no longer give birth to another moment rooted in the living death of ignorance. And again, ignorance is the root defilement. For a person who is tormented by their own deluded thoughts, overcome by passion for the pursuit of pleasure, their craving only grows stronger indeed. Those who delight in overcoming delusion, who is always mindful, who abandon greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, will end craving by recognizing and abandoning ignorance. Those fearless, free of craving, have overcome passion for the world, who has plucked the thorns of ignorance, there will be no further becoming. Those free of craving and clinging perfectly understand the truth of my Dhamma. The proper context will indeed be free of ignorance. They are profoundly wise and a great person. And I believe the very last class, Jen will be covering the culmination. And I believe that last line is a good example of that. Through right knowledge, I have conquered the world. I am free of clinging. Through abandoning ignorance, I am free of craving. I have comprehended this myself. Who would be, who would I call my teacher? The gift of the Dhamma is foremost. The taste of the Dhamma is foremost. The light in the Dhamma is foremost. Free from craving ends all suffering. Riches ruin only the fool, not the disciple seeking nirvana. The fool ruins themselves as well as others. Weeds destroy fields as craving ruins humanity. Therefore, what is offered to others free of craving yields abundant fruit. And I'll just, that's the end of the teaching, but I'd like to add one little bit onto it. Just remember the Buddha's last words, strive on with diligence. This is a practice of right effort. And I think Ram's example that he just gave is a perfect example of right effort to be in the midst of all that and to see how the practice is truly a help. So again, thank you for that. Uh, I'd like to get right into the thoughts of everyone. It's a lot in there. So why don't we start online. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Thank you, thank you for the year uh your teaching and the uh, your comments on that there is a lot there isn't there um yeah it see it it seems once you grasp that how obvious it is how the chasing and grasping after him 
impermanent things and phenomena are really just a delusion if you think it's going to result in some sort of lasting contentment or happiness. It just, it, uh, it does seem foolish. Um, I, I think of a saying that I, I, I recall often up here in this area because everyone's so, uh, this part of the world's kind of a boom town. So you have lots of people rushing in looking for, uh, looking for their fortune. And what I've noticed, it, it goes with the old saying, the desire to have quickly becomes the fear of losing. And no matter how much folks seem to be able to get here, they never seem to be any happier. Uh, in fact, they seem even more demanded in a way. Thank you. Thank you. And again, one of the main things we do in this practice is to gain insight to the three marks of existence, you know, impermanence, not self, and dukkha. So that's a perfect example of that. Grant? Hi. Hi. Well, thank you for the teachings. I, I guess I'll just keep it brief. I'm I'm still new to a lot of this stuff, but the concepts seem simple, but I'm already beginning to find that they do take effort and discipline. And I can catch myself you know, straying away from from the practice and it's important to just you know, keep keep returning back to these these uh, truths. That's that's all my thoughts for tonight. Thank you, Grant. How about you, John? I uh, I second Grant's comment, and thank you, David, for this. Um, you made a comment. Uh, once free, they, uh, they run to the same old chains. An elastic bond that must be cut. And um, that's what I'm experiencing. And um, slowly, um, you, you see that you have, you crave for uh, things, whether material or for people's acceptance or approval or a different misunderstanding and uh, or a different understanding should i say and um i'm new like grant and um it takes time but it's um you can i can see that things are fabrications and things are creations of conditioned mind and something like that but it's more at an intellectual stage than it is a in a heart and soul or uh, I'm not sure how to put it uh, but I can see how following it and practicing the Dhamma and doing the meditation and I'm just continuing to strive with diligence and that's you know it's not going to happen overnight and that's what I got from it that was the most impressive thing well, that is called a Dhamma practice and I can probably speak for most people that that's the trajectory of all of us i spent the first two years just grinding out learning everything and it was only when i finally 
learned to truly meditate that I started gaining a little bit of insight to what the Buddha was trying to, to teach. So thank you. Thank you. Hi, Nina. Hi. Hi. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> Teaching was a lot. It's, um, I'm going to be thinking about it for a while, but it reminded me of um, a metaphor that I've heard and I've thought about a lot about um, loving someone with an open palm instead of a tight fist. Um, so that came up while I was listening to what you were talking about with regards to being in relationships. Um, and I third grant as well. The idea of um, really sticking to it I can feel when I don't meditate, I can feel it in my body. And um, it's hard, <laughs> it's really hard, but the fact that I can feel it um, is substantial. So I'm grateful for that, to have the comparison. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Brian. David, thank you for this. Um, I, I will agree that when I, with you, when I first started this and I realized that we would be abandoning, abandoning attachments, the first thought that came to my head was my children. And I didn't panic and I, I stuck through it. And when I, I came to realize that it wasn't so much attachment. It was my conditioning around the concepts and thoughts that I had of my children and that the craving for them to be something that fit my mm -hmm. desires and whatever and what have you. And as I've gotten or working through that, it's become more and more unconditioned. And to Nina's point, loving with an open palm is equivalent to loving unconditionally. And, and those relationships have just grown exponentially deeper and more meaningful going through this process. So uh, for those that may be worrying about that, I, I think if you stick with it, you do see the results of this. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. That's, that, that's great insight. And I think as parents, You just want to protect and shape and make the best for them, but in the end, you know, all you can do is love them and understand just the truth of impermanence and, you know, do the best we can. And, uh, you know, it's a struggle for I think all parents to come to this part of the, the, the teaching, so thank you. Jane. Uh, thank you, David, for the teaching. Um, I wanna build a little bit on what um, Brian said too. I find that um, through my practice, my relationships have deepened. I mean, I. 
I still feel I can feel a deep love, but without any kind of um, expectations or clinging. Just feel what I feel in the moment, and it's it's just totally different. It's not it's not disentangling from the people themselves, but it's just all that was going on around it. And now it's just a pure a pure feeling. So, what a difference! Indeed, thank you, Jane. Dhamma teacher Kevin, welcome. Hi, David. Hey, everybody. Hey, um, really appreciate all your contributions, and uh, it, it reminds me of a saying one of my teachers uh, used to say that meditation requires a strong back and an open heart, and we've sort of been talking about that. You know, the right effort that we put on our cushion allows us to be in the world, and that calms what we can offer others and other people's can notice it and, and it can be there for, for everybody else. And, and that's what sort of the part of the passage that says, the wise abandon sensual pleasures and calmly renounce the world. And, and it takes time, but as we continue to practice for calm and maintain our mindfulness, we, we can understand that it's just the world being the world and we can calmly renounce our contributions to that stress. So thanks everybody. Thank you, Kevin. I think we're done online. Brett. How are you doing, David? Hey, Brett. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for your teaching. I heard you. I don't know if this is my first or this is my second day to teach, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to be here. Um, but this is something I definitely uh, <coughs> struggle with a lot this week. Um, or, you know, it's, it's, it's in my life is the craving uh, essential pleasures, I guess, where there's desire, there's uh, fear, or you fear of not getting something more. Mm. <clears throat> you know, so especially woodworking machines that drive me crazy. Um, some, <laughs> people, some people do drugs. Um, it's, you know, it's, or, you know, it's, it's, it's distractions. And so I guess you're distracted from the, what is really going on, and, and that's what's arising. So if you can have wise restraint within the moment, you can come back to your breath and continue the wise restraint. And that's and then the cycle doesn't continue. And that's where I'm at, you know, you get your cell phone, you, you, you get distracted and you feel what's going on. You get distracted and you feel what's going on. And keep on That's it. And it's hard. And it's hard. But uh, it's the only way. So and throughout even this there, there's multiple examples of the Buddha saying things like striving which means that this is a process this is again not a, a bolt of lightning of enlightenment this is changing condition thinking you know it's it's not an easy process. Some would say it's impossible, but this this practice slowly does change the way you think. Where restraint can be at, at first just like a, a knee jerk, catching yourself, and then it's just the way you are, the way you react to things are are perfectly aligned with 
the Four Noble Truths. And when that does happen occasionally, you, you can see that your, your mind is changing. So thank you, Brett. Thank you. Your strength becomes liberating when you, when you do it consciously. Mm. It, it actually takes a burden away. It does. Instead of being a burden itself. There's no, being an effort. Yeah, there's no heavy lifting with wise restraint. If it's willpower, I think that's heavy lifting, and eventually you'll you'll get exhausted by forcing yourself to be a a good person and not crave for that next drink or that next purchase or that next swipe. Versus wise restraint, where you just understand that this thing is empty of any true value. So. Thank you for teaching. I appreciate the comments of the Sangha. It's so rich. And I, when I read this and reflecting on the holidays, I couldn't help but thinking of the relationship between um, eye making and craving. That they, that that also is a is a, a reinforcing cycle. That your eye making is reinforced by your craving. Your craving reinforces eye making, and then the revelation of restraint to let go of that in a time when you're spending time with loved ones is uh, such a gift. Mm -hmm. So, Thank you. Thank you. And multiple times, <laughs> even on Thanksgiving, I was able to help sh shift conversations just by simply saying, you don't need to approve or agree, but just accept. And it diffuses, that diffuses almost every argument. And, it, you know, it's a, a little trick, but it's based on the Four Noble Truths. So. Yeah, if, if the audience understands the distinction between the two, uh, it works. I use it a couple of times, and they were really kind of gnarly conversations. <laughs> and. I just stuck with it, and it, it, it's just the truth. So, thank you, Dustin. Thank you, David. Um, I was just thinking about what Nina said about that open hand, and like how um, that when I try to control things, that hand really clenches, you know. But um, going back to what Ram was saying about how restraint becomes liberating through meditating and doing this sort of process, I notice when I clench that fist, you know, like I notice when things come up that I'm controlling or feeling jealous or, you know, like mm. I can see when I'm not loving in that open way of clinging, right, out of fear. Can really feel that now and see it yeah. and sort of like be with it and the distractions too I can sort of recognize that quickly trying to control my everything my space my silence mm -hmm. you're trying to massage you're trying to yeah. shape you're trying to 
cover this self that we've created. Curate every moment. Curate. It's, that's heavy lifting. Yeah. So. I noticed that now. I never noticed that before. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Or. I need to that, you know, Dustin is right that um, this concentration, meditation, jhana is really the solution um, because I realize, especially with. It's ironic because even the people that are closest to me, like my family members, I real I realize how much I try to control them and cling to kind of ideas of how they should be or act. And um, you know, even if it's in a state of what I think is a fabricated state of what I think is good will towards them or, you know, helping them with their various problems they have or my parents' health issues, but like it wasn't until my brother pointed out how negative I can be sometimes and controlling around them. Um, and it's I, that, like Brett was saying, that we really need wise restraint because that impetus to like control someone else, even when you you know really care about them, or and like what you were saying, mm -hmm. it's abandoning the attachments and the clinging and craving to these ideas we have about you know, who they should be, who I think my parents should be, or my brother, and I don't know, for me it's hardest with the people that I love most, which is really sad, but um, at least this practice is helping me, you know, mm. like you said, you look in the mirror and those things are just really ugly, you know. I don't want to act that way towards them so but thankfully this is you know this really helps so that's great that's wonderful thank you mm -hmm. teacher Rob. Mm. Uh, yeah that in a way when you when you're caring for somebody especially when you're with your parents or with people really close to you in your family there's a there's a sense of craving there for for security yeah. because you know you can you can see him heading for suffering and uh, that's going to affect you too so this 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 urge to control that uh, is rooted in your own in your own craving. get to deal with the fear of, of giving up that control and, and um, not having a hand in, in, in the consequences that's going to happen. That's a hard thing to do. Um, and even, you know, myself as a parent, you know, I had to, by the time your children grow up, and, and you know, they're past teenage or even in their teenage years. You're, this this whole urge, this physical urge that you've had to keep them safe, it just becomes impossible, and you, and you have to let go of it. Mm. Uh, that's that's tough because uh, you you know you, you see the train coming down the tracks, you know, and 
because you've been there yourself most of the time. Um, but you know, the best you can do is give advice, because uh, if you try to if you try to control it, it it, it will not work. But it, that's the hardest part of, of uh, for me. This was the hardest part of uh, of parenting is to. Abandon the idea that you can keep them safe. It's, and you know, the same thing plays out um, you know, between a child and, and, and parents. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I already have my daughter, you know, mm -hmm. after me, you know, <laughs> do this and do that, and make sure you're this. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's the same routine. Thank you. Teacher Matt. David, thank you. Thank you everybody here and online. Sangha, Sangha power tonight. Mm. Really feeling it, really grateful for it. Um, you know, there's a saying that I'm sure we've all heard And I hope it doesn't take us too far afield, but I think it fits. Um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we're seeing this in, in our own lives and, and around the dinner table or, or at work or wherever in our, in our relationships. And that makes me think of um, what it means to let go of the past, let go of the present, and let go of the future. And that's letting go of aversion, letting go of delusion, and letting go of greed. You know, greed for the outcome that we're always looking to get. That's the future. It, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I, I, I meant the best, but now I messed it up for myself and my loved one. Letting go of the past, letting go of aversion. running away from these feelings and letting go of, of the present, letting go of delusion, letting go of the, the, the confusion that is trying to fix something that already happened and trying to manage something that hasn't happened. And so this practice is, is in our lives now. It's an it's a individual practice. There's no savior. It's in our lives. And when we, when we can get honest and, and look at all of those things, whether around the dinner table when we're with family and, and our, our intentions are really good, but 
but there's greed and aversion and deluded thinking. Um, so I'm, I'm just constantly amazed by the subtlety and depth of the Buddha's Dhamma. And thank you for presenting it tonight, David. Thank you. I'm fascinated by the Dhamma and our practice and being householders. I look forward to taking that viewpoint in the future and how we can not make any accommodations because this practice doesn't need accommodations, but to think in terms of we are all householders and we have unique circumstances that a person in a monastery or in the woods doesn't have challenges that are coming at us at a velocity and with consequences but yet I believe that this practice has such a profound value and I think of what Nina said and I look at Laura and I think that this practice will certainly be a better approach than as Nina said a closed fist so thank you everyone wonderful class and wonderful sangha. Any other comments online? Well, good. We'll end as we always do with the Karaniya Metasutta. Find your positions. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that, would, that the wise would later approve. May all beings be at ease, Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection, this is said to be the sublime abiding, 
by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.